0: All right, first of all, there's a a principle in physics, probably the principle in physics, called the principle of least action, that everything, every motion that's existing in the entire universe, whether it's a light wave, whether it's an atom, an electron, whether it's a planet, whether it's a star, everything will take the shortest, simplest path. The easiest, simplest. This is how Mother Nature designed it. Principle of least action. Everything, you know, and and when time gets factored in, the the shortest path between two points is not necessarily a straight line. You know, when when time is involved, it turns into a geodesic, which is the shortest space-time route, according to physicists. Anyway, so everything, is, the whole universe is designed to take the lazy approach. As a matter of fact, in my musical that I referenced earlier, there's a song by Mother Nature.
1: <laughs> the musical. And,
0: and she sings, I'm one lazy mama. She explains that she's one, you know, everything, everything in the universe goes by her, her vision of taking the easiest, laziest path.
1: Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Martin Grunberg. You have reached Habits to Goals, the podcast that helps you understand the importance of aligning your habits to put them at your back so you achieve your goals more easily. Today's guest, speaking of easily, and I've had to track this fine young man down, Fred Gratson. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did. Sweet. So Fred Gratson has written a book that is truly mind-blowing. It's paradigm-shifting. And I know that sounds like hyperbole, so bear with me here, because if you're from the school of continuing (laughs) continuing to work harder and harder, which – don't get me wrong, I, there's there's an element that subscribes to that, but wait till you hear what Fred's got to say. He, he's authored a book entitled, and this is why, actually on his website, he says, this is not a joke. <laughs> um, the book is entitled, the, Wazy, the, <laughs> the Lazy Way to Success. Fred, it is a tremendous honor and a privilege to welcome you to Habits to Goals. How are you doing today, sir?
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Yeah, well, you sound good, and uh, I'm sure you're a very busy man. In In addition, and I could have said this in the open, but in addition to being a fantastic author, and it, by the way, it's beautifully written, uh, Fred is, although I don't like the term serial entrepreneur, he is just that. I I just think it's redundant. I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. He has had multiple successes um, in his past. So anyhow, Fred, the way we kick this off, sir, is with something called the GTR, which is the Good Things Report. Now, you can defer to me or you can go ahead and kick it off. It's your call.
0: So you just want me to... Tell you
1: yeah, something ha- exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Sorry, I thought I. Uh, so the idea is, yeah, you say something fantastic that happened today or yesterday. Um, it could be business, it could be personal. It's just a great way to, like I said, break the ice and kick things off.
0: Okay, well, well there's a couple of things that I'm doing these days that are really inspiring me from day to day. Um, you know, this book that I wrote, "The Lazy Way to Success." Just, just, just give it a little background. Um, oh, hang on, my wife just walked in. I'm on an interview, <laughs> All right, I did chase my wife away. I forgot to tell her. <laughs>
1: that's all right. That's all, all right. right. She's the boss. The
0: things that are happening in my life. I have this wonderful wife. Okay. There you go. And that's day to day. Okay. No, I should keep her more informed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, This book, The Lazy Way to Success, was written several years ago. I think I finished it in 2002. And uh, it's been, I sold the language rights to 10 foreign publishers so far. Wow. Uh, And uh, it's in its fourth printing in Germany. Uh, It's second printing in Indonesia. Um, And what's interesting about that, the, the, the subtitle of the book is How to Do Nothing and Accomplish Everything. I love it, and 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 people say that's completely ridiculous. But I have to tell you that I did absolutely nothing to attract those ten publishers. They all contacted me, and (laughs) and they gave me money. So I gave them the rights, and uh, anyway, so
1: so so that's go ahead.
0: What happened? I've gotten I've gotten fan mail from all over the world. And two readers, independently of each other, suggested I turn it into a musical. (laughs) Now, now, uh, I have no background in writing plays, songs. In fact, I can't carry a tune if you welded handles to it. So it's you know I I was intrigued by the idea. But because I have no real musical skill, I just never, I just kind of played with the idea, but always put, pushed it away. Well, it. A couple of years ago, I just said to myself, you know, this is such a good idea, and I'm just going to try to do it. <laughs> oh. And I have, to, I have to tell you, I didn't write the music, but the lyrics and the, the actual libretto, the, the, in musical theater, the, the actual story is called The Book. It just flowed right out of me and I had such a good time writing it, but I had a hard time finding a, a composer because any kind of composer would look at my background and realize, well, I have, you know, I, I, this dude has no no musical abilities and, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. But I finally found someone to add the music. He's this kid. I'm 72 years old, so we're definitely a, a, um, an odd couple. He's 29. He's Mexican. He lives in Mexico City. Extremely talented, and we connect over Skype. And he's been adding music to my lyrics, and I have to tell you, I'm having a glorious time. I've never had so much fun. <laughs> I, I go to bed giddy, just thinking about these silly lyrics. And you know, there's a, there's a there's a serious theme through the musical, you know, obviously, but but presented in this lighthearted, just completely silly way. And so, obviously, nothing could be more unrealistic and more impractical than writing a musical. But I have to tell you, I, I've never had so much fun. So so that's so that's a day to day experience for me.
1: That is and, a day to day, and it's it's pra- <laughs> if you can call it that, practicing what you're preaching. It it shows you how things will flow. Um, in in some ways with just intentionality and and i think that's an amazing gtr mine cannot compare it's simply that i managed to get in the water and surf uh between coming into the office here and then of course it's always a gtr when i have guests like you and i'm going to throw on one other thing i did a and and I think this is just Fred, what happens, at least to me, when I just turned uh fifty and I found myself slightly interested or more interested in <laughs> my body fat count. So I oh. came in at a fourteen point eight percent, which put me in at around the ninety-second percentile for a now fifty year older. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but in my book, I'll take it at this point. So that's my GTR. Before we get into the book here, Fred, what I want to do is set the table and and just back it up. And, and maybe, you know, we don't have to go super deep, but just kind of... Where you grew up, where you went to high school, what kind of student you were. I know some of these answers. Where you went to college, how you found your way uh, into some of your entrepreneurial uh, activities. I think that would be a fantastic starting point.
0: Okay. Uh, I was born in Philadelphia. I'm a Philly dog.
1: All right. Well, you must have loved the Super Bowl.
0: Are you kidding me? I am still glowing. (laughs) I you know, I can watch those replays and I do watch those replays over and over again. You know, I know when the Phillies won the World Series in 2008. You know, it didn't it didn't have this kind of lasting effect that the Eagles have had in winning the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, I think they were just yeah. such big underdogs.
0: <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, these dogs got to eat, and they did. <laughs> Anyway, um, so I, I was born in Philly, I was, I, I, you know, I, my first three lives, my, the first three years of my life were in South Philly, and then my parents moved across the river to a town called Morristown, which is not to be confused with Morristown, which is in the north, it's like, <laughs> like a suburb of New York, Morristown, the, you know, 13 miles away from Philly. And that's where I grew up in, you know, a nice suburban town, Quaker Town. Um, uh, went to high school there, and then I went to. Um, I was, you know, you know, mediocre student. I mean, I just, I had, I, to tell you the truth, I, I had, a great difficulty reading. Um, I didn't really know. I, I couldn't read. I mean, uh, or it was very ponderous to read, and. whenever we had these books to read uh, you know I just it was impossible but somehow I got through school and even college more based on intuition than any kind of academic skill
1: was it was that related and that's great info to share thanks for sharing that was that related to perhaps ADD or or was it just a vision thing or
0: I I don't know what it was you know you know uh, I was never diagnosed uh, in any way. Got it. It's just that you know I'd read a sentence and I'd kind of like forget, I try not like comprehend right like, the wholeness of it. Uh, and, and that changed, and I'll tell you how it changed. But I went through basically I went through college uh, based on intuition more than any kind of any ability to read the stuff. Um, and it was always it, it was always a big stress to me that I couldn't read or I had trouble reading like, I understood each individual word, and, you know, if I took the time, and it took forever to, you know, get through it, and, uh, but when I, when I was the second semester of my senior year at Rutgers, which was in 1968, so my 50th college reunion is coming up this spring, (laughs) um, uh, I, I learned the practice of transcendental meditation. And, um, I really fell in love with it. I mean, it, I learned much too late to salvage a lackluster academic career, but uh, it really helped me in many, many, many ways. And and it, in one way, it really helped my reading. I became a, I just started to enjoy reading, and 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 uh, just kind of. It, release some stress or tension in my brain or something
1: yeah wow wow it almost sounds like it was an attention deficit challenge and then the meditation really really helped yeah. that now how did you come upon uh tm there, transcendental meditation i i mean i recall well, the story in
0: college, What's in, college I was a, in college i was a a, a, a rock drummer you know uh, i had a little rock band and uh uh, and during that time, I was really into the Beatles. I mean, you know, uh, child of the 60s. I mean, I, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would hinge on every word. I mean, I just like drink everything in, everything that was written about them, everything that was, everything they sung. I mean, I just analyzed their songs so deeply. I, I certainly wasn't alone in this regard. And then, um, and then I saw in Time magazine or some you know, magazine like that, an article about the Beatles, and it said that they were involved. They were, had just gotten involved with um, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi.
1: Right, right. And I'm
0: thinking, oh, what, 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 what is this? You know, what are they, you know? These are guys that they, they have everything they could possibly want. You know, what, what, are they? What, what are they you know, how, how did they get sucked into this guy? <laughs> but you know, the more, you know, but I, but I was intrigued by that, and 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 certainly the the press was. This is 1967. Uh, and and uh, I heard that Maharishi was going to be on the Johnny Carson show. I don't know if your, your listeners know who Johnny Carson is. Of,
1: of course.
0: <laughs> was before Leno and before Jimmy Fallon, he was uh, you know he was hosting that show, and he was you know a brilliant interviewer and a very funny man. And and I wanted to watch Maharishi, and I wa- and the reason I wanted to watch the show was I wanted to hear stories about the Beatles. Sure. That was what I wanted to hear. And Johnny Carson inter- introduced Marcia before he came out on so stage. said, here's a man of love and peace, and wherever he goes, he just effervesces with joy and giggles and all that. And uh, and what I fully expected was a, a typical guest <coughs> on the Johnny Carson show, someone who comes out and tells stories and cracks jokes. That's what I was expecting. And here's this man. He, uh, when Marsha came out, he just kind of floated out. I mean, with such grace, and he had this bouquet of flowers, and he gave Johnny Carson a flower. Johnny Carson gave him a flower, and and then when he sat in that chair that every celebrity sits next to Johnny Carson in, I noticed that there was a deer skin. First of all, the the, the seat was covered with a sheet, like a, a silk sheet. Wow. And there was like a deerskin sitting on it. And then Marshy sits on that, takes off his sandals, and he sits cross-legged. I was so taken by him. I mean, I just... I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> I didn't understand it. I was just taken. And Johnny Carson was very nervous. I can see that, you know, like he was... This was a typical kind of movie story he was dealing with. This was someone who had like a lot of uh, a lot of presence. Sure. And... Um, Anyway, after he walked out, and I and and, and I my I asked my friend, what, 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 "What was he talking about?" And he said he was telling him, talking about meditation. He wants people to meditate. I didn't, you know, I didn't even get it. I didn't even hear it. I mean, it was just. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I uh, from that, I, you know, a, a couple of things that set stimulated me to start. I won't go. I won't make this the long story even longer. But I started in March of. Uh, 1990, 1968, as a matter of fact, what's today? Today's the sixth. In five days, (laughs) I will be celebrating my 50th anniversary of starting Transcendental Meditation.
1: Of starting what?
0: Starting TM. I started TM. Oh, got
1: it, got it. Perfect.
0: And um, uh, it it was transforming. It transformed everything. It just just transformed everything. And I I fell so, so much in love with it. That I became a teacher of TM in uh, 1970 right I taught it full-time for the next 10 years and, and to me it was the be-all and end-all of jobs uh, or, or occupations or professions that's all I that's all I could ever want to do I enjoyed it so much and then and then Maharshi, who I you know was studying with and be, uh, taking advanced programs and just really <laughs> drinking in everything right uh, he wanted people to go to Fairfield, Iowa, a university established in his name here in Fairfield, um, and he wanted people to go there. Now, I'm an East Coast boy, you know, and I like I like the sports and the sophistication and the food and all that, you know, I don't go to Iowa, for God's sake, you know, who goes to Iowa? Uh, but he was really insisting, he was really asking people, not not commanding, but really recommending strongly And I think, you know, I'd like to follow his advice. I mean, everything he's said and every direction he's given me has turned out to be golden in every possible way. That, you know, all right, so I'll go to Iowa. You know, if he wants me to go to Iowa, I'll go to Iowa. So, you know, being being a TM teacher in Fairfield, Iowa, it's like being a Toyota in Tokyo. (laughs) I mean, it's... I couldn't, you know, I couldn't follow through on my profession of teaching people. That's how I made a living. Not a, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was surviving. And uh, uh, at that time, I figured, all right, if I want to stay here and enjoy this place, which I saw that the huge value in being in this group, uh, I had to start a business. So that's how I started businesses. I don't know. You may want to ask me a
1: question or should I just keep on rambling? No, no, no. This is, this is beautiful. And that's where I was just going to do a quick recap. So we're a mediocre student. we we, uh, are absolutely in love with the Beatles. We're in a band and by we, I mean you, and then that leads you to this encounter with the Maharishi. And, and interestingly enough, and I, I missed that part. You, you were teaching for 10 years and somewhere along the way you realized to supplement income, you were going to start a business and that's, that's all I wanted to, I mean, that's a perfect um, kind of, kind of recap and summary. So then you, you begin the business and what's that first company.
0: So, you know, so I moved, I moved to Iowa Uh and, and the first thing I noticed was ice cream in Iowa was abysmal. (laughs) I referred to it as cow snot and um, it was gummy and it was overly sweet and it was just not it just there was no there was no artistry to it
1: so you saw an opportunity
0: (laughs) well but you know so uh, my my initial idea was you know I just needed a, a few dollars I didn't need to make a big business I didn't need to be anything I just need to support myself and, and you know, buy tofu and zucchini. That's all I needed. Uh, so my initial idea was to go to the local five and ten kind of store, of the Woolworths kind of a store, and get like this homemade ice cream maker and and, and get some cheap freezer, you know, a household freezer, and then I'd make ice cream and I'd sell it to the people in town, you know, just to my friends and all that. Just and. It was such a stupid idea because I had no idea how ice cream was made. <laughs> it's, yeah, I but you, no you took action.
1: I mean, it's really incredible. It's so
0: I, that was the initial idea. I didn't act right. on that those particular that idea anyway. And explain the people that I was going to make ice cream. And one guy asked how was he going to do it, and I came up and told him I was going to do it this way. And so that's stupid. Uh, you can't make a, a, a commercially grade ice cream with a homemade ice cream freezer and a, and a, and a, and a kitchen right. refrigerator. You know, you put it in the freezer, and it'll ice crystals will form. And it'll be very unpleasant, and it's basically unsaleable. Because you know, when you have ice cream and it gets melty, and then you put it back in the freezer, you know, it gets. You know, you put, everyone has experience, it. gets very coarse and icy. Right. So, um, and he told me that he knew this guy in, in, in Texas that sold used ice cream making equipment. So he gave me the phone number. So I called this guy up. And he said, yeah, I have everything you need to, uh, to uh, have a little homemade ice cream parlor. <laughs> I said, this is great. I said, yeah, how much would that cost? He said, uh,
1: $7,000.
0: And I thought, you know, if I had $7,000,
1: right.
0: I would need to start a business. <laughs> and uh, I thought the idea was dead at that point. I said, yeah, all right, I'll think of something else. But then I thought, all right. Here's the obstacle. Said, how do I get seven thousand
1: dollars? Yeah, seven thousand. By the way, is a ton of money uh, back then, especially yeah. right.
0: 1979. Well, yeah, you know, it was a lot for me. And uh, I thought, well, I'll just get investors. So, so uh, my 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 offering memorandum was a handwritten half of a legal page. It was handwritten. You know, if you if you give me this much money, you will own this much of the business. And you'll also be entitled to a lifetime supply of ice cream. (laughs) That was was my offering memorandum. And um, uh, I first approached a a very established, venerable, old-fashioned, conservative financial institution to invest in my ice cream company. In other words, I asked my mother. (laughs) And, and my mother said oh my mother's probably just like your mother she said oh my son my glorious son <laughs> it was great of course I'll invest in your ice cream business so she agreed to give me two thousand dollars wow, wow. Them high, you know I said, who's next but dad of course <laughs> like immediately called up my father yeah, and, yeah. And my father probably exactly like your father said what are you, some kind of a nut? You've already suckered your mother for $2,000. We're eh? done here, Jack. We're done. <laughs> anyway, so then I worked with my friends. And uh, it took about two, three weeks. And uh, I was able to raise $7,500.
1: That is unbelievable. So, <laughs> and
0: another loan for 2500 So I
1: had $10,000. Incredible. So you my- just you you ran up against an obstacle and then you you just got creative you got uh, resourceful yeah,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: well and then and, what what was that ice cream company called
0: well uh, it was called the the great midwestern ice cream company
1: fantastic and, and then did you end up you know, did you end up selling that
0: Well, uh, you know we'll get there uh, okay i i don't know if i tell you what but this um, Sorry. Uh, my, the, 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 my first act is chief executive officer Uh of the Great Midwestern Ice Cream Company was to send this man in Texas a check for $7,000. Did I know this man in Texas? No. Did I have any idea what I was buying? No. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know how to operate it. I didn't know how to hook it up. I knew nothing. Oh, no. (laughs) I sent this man a check for $7,000. Oh, no. And two two weeks later, this moving van arrived. It was like filled to the brim with, with shiny... Stainless steel stuff, all these mixers and pipes and boxes and freezers and things and things, so many things. Anyway, it took about two weeks to hook it up and about a billion phone calls to this guy in Texas about how to run it. And uh, it was complicated because it didn't take, you just got to plug it into the wall. Right. Special electricity, three phase electricity. I didn't even know what that was. I had to learn what that was. Anyway, so on November, November 8th, 1979, I made my first ice cream, <laughs> and it was fantastic. It was by far, without question, the best ice cream in the whole world. I had <laughs> never tasted anything close to it, but Haagen-Dazs, nothing compared to this. It was so good. Uh, that's the good news. Yeah. The bad news is I'm starting an ice cream business at the beginning of an Iowa winter. <laughs> and I begin, I, 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 proceeded to, I proceeded to lose my shirt. I mean, I'm surviving on ice cream and maraschino cherries. I got no customers. I've got no, you know, it's awful. And for the two months during the, and we got snubbed to our eyebrows. I mean, it was like crazy. And yes. the only thing I could think of during that period was expand. I've got to expand. Oh, really? So, so, so I. I, I, I figured, all right, I'll, where are we going to expand to? I'm going to expand to Iowa City. Now, Fairfield is 60 miles south of Iowa City. Iowa City is a big university town. University of Iowa is there. I had never been there before. But I figured I'm going to go to a bank in Iowa City and borrow the money that I need to build a store in Iowa City. So the day before, I am figuring out how much money I needed to raise. And I'm just with zero research. I'm just picking numbers out of the air. Oh, This probably costs five hundred dollars. This probably costs a thousand. I'm just the an idiot. There was no internet, but the number came to twenty three thousand nine hundred. <laughs> and I, I drive up the say I borrow a car. I drive up in the snow to this, and I, I see a bank. I said, I go to this bank, and I had written, the, you know, written these, this, this my needs out. You know, my my offering memorandum now is like, is like no longer a handwritten half a page, it's now like typewritten, four <laughs> pages but only like a paragraph or two on each page <laughs> it's like, I try to flesh it out but anyway so I go into this bank and I announce that I'm there to borrow $23,900 <laughs> and the receptionist is a little bit of a shock and he said, what's this for? And I said, well I'm going to build an ice cream store in Iowa City she said, well you should see the commercial loan officer I said, fine. She said, well, he's not in town right now. He's not in the bank right now. He'll be here tomorrow. So come back tomorrow and you can meet with him. I said, ma'am, I just drove up in the snow and fair for car. I got to see somebody. She said, well, maybe the senior vice president will see you. Nice. So I said, OK, I'll see him. So the, the senior vice president said, yeah, I'll right, send him back here. So I went to see him. This old guy. Wearing those reading glasses at the end of his nose, like, looked like a frog. He would look, look over his glasses at me, and it took him about seven nanoseconds to read my my uh, offering memorandum. Right. And then he looked at me and he said, "Son, you've got no experience. <laughs> you have no collateral. Your business has no equity. You show no operating profit." Like I'm on the verge of tears, you know. He's like, squashing my dream. Right. And then, and then, and then, then he, it's like, then he like stabbed me in the heart. He said, and besides, for what you want to do, twenty-three thousand nine hundred dollars is not nearly enough. So I'm thinking, all right, there's more fish in the sea. I'll go to another bank, as if another bank is going to tell me something different. Right. Anyway, so I just wanted to cut to the chase. I didn't want to linger with this guy anymore. I said, "Well, are you interested?" And he said, "Yeah, I'm very interested." <laughs> and he ended up lending me thirty five thousand dollars. Wow. Well, truth be told, it did not take thirty five thousand dollars to build the bank to build that store in Iowa City. It took fifty five thousand.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and, what and, did and, he say? Why he? So he's going through the whole I, list. Uh, what's I that? I became
0: friends with him down the road. And, you know, because the store in Iowa City was quite a hit. You know, as how I became a minor celebrity in Iowa City. So I became friends with him. And I said, you know, Dick, why did you lend me the money? I mean, from a banker's point of view, I failed every test. I had no equity. I had no experience. I had no collateral. I had no operating profit. I mean, why on God's green earth did you give me the money? Correct. He said, i lent you the money based on your enthusiasm.
1: That's what I'm looking for.
0: Then he said.
1: <laughs> that actually fits perfect into uh, one of our course modules is dedicated to energy and enthusiasm. So now I have a beautiful anecdote there. Go ahead. Keep going.
0: Perfect. And then he said, and besides, the day you came was my birthday. Ah. And here you were bringing me ice cream on my birthday. Ah. All right, so let's fast forward five years. People Magazine is having a national ice cream competition, and um, and they, all their all their writers from all over the, all the country are trying to um, are, have been given the job to find the best ice creams in their area. So there are 30 regions; the country was divided up in 30 regions, based around the major cities. Well, People Magazine didn't know I existed, and I didn't know that this competition existed. So uh, I was falling between the cracks. Iowa City was just not, you know, didn't have a writer that was, re- that was responsible for it. Right. Anyway, the the uh, the writer from Kansas City was doing her homework very well. She called the, the librarian in Columbia, Missouri. Columbia, Missouri has a big university. University of Missouri is there. And she was asking the librarian if there was any good ice cream in, in Columbia that she should consider in this article. And the librarian turned out to be a recent graduate of the School of Library Science from the University of Iowa. <laughs> ah. And she said, well, if you're doing a great story on ice cream, a story on ice cream, don't overlook great Midwestern in Iowa City. So the lady calls me up and she doesn't introduce herself. She doesn't tell me about People Magazine or that she's a writer or she's not at this competition. All she asks is how far do you, dil- do you distribute your ice cream? <laughs> and I said, well, sometimes someone buys an ice cream cone and they walk around the block. And then she d- introduces herself. She sa- explains the story, the People Magazine competition and all that. And then she says, but I don't know if I can include you. And I said, if you're having a competition to find the best ice cream in America and you don't include us, you'll only find the second best ice cream. <laughs> Anyway, so she, she said, All right, I asked my editor if I can have, if Iowa can be a part of my region. The editor says, Yes, yeah, let him send it. So we packed it off to Kansas City. And it, needless to say, we won hands down in Kansas City. And then a sample of our ice cream was then sent to the Time Life building, where all, you know, the winners from all the regions were sent to Time Life. And they put together a very sophisticated panel, not only the movie stars and the famous athletes. But also people that were legitimate, uh, you know, uh, food critics. And we came in first place in, 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 in New York. So we ended up being declared by People magazine the best ice cream in America.
1: That is phenomenal. Now, anyway, we want... Go ahead.
0: Anyway, Nancy Reagan ended up tasting the ice cream. <laughs> insisted it be served at White House functions. And uh, here i married like two, three months where we get an invitation to the White House. Oh all right, let me my. let me back up. The ice cream got an invitation to the White House, and my wife and I were told we could tag along.
1: That is unbelievable.
0: and this and, and the event was the president's annual picnic for all the members of Congress and their families. So I got all my friends in d c. to scoop the ice cream out and I, and I, and I worked the crowd. I got to meet the president anyway. During this time, I'm like being interviewed, you know, like I got pictures in Forbes and Fortune and Newsweek and New York Times. And, you know, I'm on I'm on um, Good Morning America and, and, you know, Today Show and all the I mean, I got a I got a garbage bag filled with articles from all over the country and magazines and television clips and all that. Uh,
1: And it's all free pub, too,
0: right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Beautiful. I travel a lot. But uh, in 1988, I ended up getting pushed out of the company I founded.
1: Just like Steve Jobs.
0: Uh, yeah. So not, not as rich, and and, <laughs> I, and 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 I had signed a non compete with the venture capitalists, the investors, that invested in the business. That if I left the business for any reason,
1: right. that
0: um, that I couldn't go back in the ice cream industry.
1: Well, that's okay. Then you went went on and founded a telecom company and.
0: And that grew to be a hundred times larger than the ice cream company at its largest point. In fact, after starting to a telecom company with no knowledge of telecom.
1: <laughs> this is uh, absolutely insane. And insane. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I promised you we'd keep this, you know, within a certain amount of time. I, I, uh.
0: Oh, that's the trouble with interviewing me. I shoot my mouth off and I can't get stuck. I no, no, stuck. you
1: were, I mean, I'm I'm riveted. Uh, I'm just floored. You, you capped it with going to the White House. Um, but I, it's occurred to me, you know, that we haven't, I, I may have to bring you back. Uh, All right. We, we have not gotten. I've got into, no
0: life. I'll, I'll come back.
1: No, no, no. So now I, I want to get into the book and,
0: and just. Okay. Hang on, let me, just, let me just do the telecom thing. I do, it, I do it two sentences.
1: Okay,
0: you're over, fine. You're starting, fine. Starting, 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 knowing absolutely nothing about telecom and just going to my friends with my hat in my hand and saying, oh, "I can save you some money here." And there, um, that company over the next nine years grew to employing 1,100 people worldwide. <laughs> we had customers. We had a quarter of a million customers, in a hundred customer in a hundred countries. Uh, I took the company public and the ninth year that I was involved it grew to it grows three hundred and thirty eight million dollars
1: that's on and that's telegroup or something yeah, telegroup and yeah.
0: it, Inc magazine declared it the second fastest growing company yeah i
1: I really am gonna have to bring you back because because we've set the table now i I want the listener to know and I'm sure they're still with us that 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 Fred just doesn't write lightly about the la <laughs> the lazy way to success and not have any success behind him he has has mountains and mountains of success behind him and and so that leads me to the 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 kind of the founding principle what i and I read the story briefly, but just tell it quickly what made you feel compelled if that's the right word to to write the book and then let's. We're going to move into the, the philosophy behind it and why you think it's important. So, so take it from there, please.
0: Okay. Well, when, when I got pushed out of the ice cream business, I'm reflecting on where I screwed up. You know, why, you know, but trying to think, what, if I did something else, what would be the, my philosophy of success? How, how, would I, how would I move ahead? Right. And so I, I started to give talks. Professional talks, <clears throat> and I'd always end this story, the story, the ice cream story, at a high note. I wouldn't tell it that I was pushed out and humiliated and embarrassed on that. Um, but there was one, one story that, that uh, an experience that I had in terms of moving the safe. And yeah, I'd,
1: I'd, yeah, yeah. I was hoping you were going to go there. Perfect.
0: <clears throat> I can go there now, or, or I don't know how you want to do this. But, no, um,
1: no, please go right into that. You you would tell the story about the safe. Tell all it. All right.
0: So I, 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 you know, I was uh, way I was way before I was uh, involved in uh, doing ice cream business. I was involved in, uh, in building this um, graphic design studio, and the, the, and the studio was. Uh, uh, in this old hotel that was used to be really super fashionable, but you know, now it had fallen on all days. And and, and when we got our space, we looked at the floor and you know, it was, an, it was all black and ugly, but we said, God, this a beautiful parquet floor underneath all this, we just have to sand it, you know, and, and refinish it, it'd be beautiful. And all the fittings on the windows were like brass, but they're all corroded. But if we shine them up, you know, this place and paint it, it'd be gorgeous. And we got really inspired. But unfortunately in the middle of the floor, was this huge, rusty, black, enormous safe <laughs> lying on its side. And, you know, like the, there was like six of us, and we just said, well, all right, you know, well, let's, let's, let's move this out. we got to move this out. So oh, we got surrounded it. On the count of three, we'll lift up the safe, you know, and move it out. Well, we counted three, and we tried to lift that safe. And I tell you, we, I strained every fiber in my body. Everyone did. And that safe didn't budge not even a molecule's worth of width <laughs> that thing bud so we said alright we'll slide it out so we all get behind it and we and we try to get our shoulders still one two three and we're grunting and, and, and nothing that safe doesn't move a micron <laughs> and you know like we are we are pissed and we're cussing and we're dirty and we just are frustrated and we, how, we, this safe guy we have, anyway so someone says, "Oh, well, we'll just cover it with a tablecloth and we'll put flowers on it. And, you know, but it wasn't the right height. You know, nothing was right about it. Which,
1: which, <laughs> I, which I thought that was a creative solution. But but the, the one forthcoming is much better. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, so Throwing we, a tablecloth on it. That's funny.
0: <laughs> so so we, we all go to lunch. And I'm the first one back from lunch. And, and there's, there's this, another guy from the group, but he wasn't involved in the morning's fiasco and tried to move the thing. And he's <laughs> on the floor with a screwdriver and a hammer. And he's tapping the safe with the screwdriver, just kind of probing here and there and thinking. And I said, Adam, what are you going to do? What are you doing? He said, I'm going to move the safe. Do you want to help? I said, I've seen the movie. It's seven guys. Maybe we're going to the tablecloth. You know, we can't do it. It's too <laughs> And he said, no, no, I think we can think of a way. I said, what do you have in mind? He said, I have nothing in mind, but I think we can think of a way to move the safe. And he's tapping away with the hammer and and I'm thinking, all right, so I go in the basement of this, this old hotel. And I start to look for things that could probably be helpful. So I start grabbing things, you know, and I just drag them up upstairs. And what we ended up doing is we tapped the blade of the screwdriver underneath the safe, between the floor and the safe. We just tapped it in there.
1: Yep.
0: And then I took a pipe, and I put it on the handle of the a long pipe, about six foot long. And I slid it over the handle of the screwdriver. I put a two-by-four at the, at the fulcrum. The two of us got to the other end of the pipe and pulled it way down, and that lifted up the safe maybe a half an inch. I think we were just doing it to see if it wasn't bolted to the floor, because right. it sure felt like it was bolted to the floor. <laughs> anyway, while it was up, I slid a magazine underneath, and then we did it again. We adjusted the fulcrum and did it again. I put a second magazine, a third magazine, like and lifted it up until it was high enough to slide a pipe underneath. We went to the other end, we jacked up the other end, slid some more pipes underneath, and the two of us, like we were two old ladies, pushing a baby carriage on a Sunday afternoon through the park. We just, I'm gonna gonna use the word because it was true. We effortlessly slid that safe out of the room. When one pipe would fall out the back end, I'd lift it up and I'd saunter up to the front and put it up in the front of the safe. And it just roll right off. Now, we did not avoid the work. Or we did not avoid the task. We just avoided the work. We accomplished effortlessly. Two guys accomplished effortlessly. But seven guys, six guys, whatever it was, working hard could not accomplish. And in that formula, I saw that success... (laughs) It is inversely proportional to work. The harder you work, or, you know, the harder you work, the less success you will have. <laughs> the less work, you have, less work you do, the more success you'll have. You just have to know where to put the lever because everything, everything has a lever attached to it. You just have to figure it out, whether it be how you write, telling jokes, telling stories, playing music, shooting a basketball, you know, Building a pyramid. And the two of us, after we got that safe out of there, we were convinced that the two of us single-handedly could build an Egyptian pyramid. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) And not do any work in the process. That's the key. Finding the magical way where doing less accomplishes more. Absolutely. Finding the magical way where doing less accomplishes more. And that's why I wrote that book. And it's a funny book, but it's, you know, my Latin teacher when he read it said, it has gravitas,
1: <laughs> right? It
0: has substance. It has it has seriousness, and it is. And I tell you, and I give all the secrets on how to lead, how to have good luck, how to how to avoid work. and 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 and, and, and I, I started writing that book after the ice cream fiasco. I had written, you know, maybe a half seventy five percent as a rough draft. And then telegroup somehow started, and I was applying the principles that I learned in that book, or I you know, learned that I thought of in that book. I applied to telegroup, and I and, and 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 I never required anyone to work. I never required anyone to stay late, to burn them in, the, none of that. I just wanted people to have fun and enjoy, and my job was to be the cheerleader and to make sure that they were you know I just wanted to make them wanted to make my employees happy. The environment should be happy they should be living a healthy everything should be healthy and happy and joyful and be well paid at the same time and, and that's what happened and the thing grew like a weed. the thing grew, I couldn't believe how, you wouldn't believe how fast how fast we were growing and how and the problems that come with fast growth like running out of space, having to beg people to move out of their offices, pay people to move out of their offices so we can take them over. You know, just furnishing new, new, new employees, getting them computers, getting them trained. And then we blow out databases, have they replay so, <laughs> Get it, yeah, what?
1: So, Fred, that is, first of all, it's, it's all absolutely amazing. The, the management style that's based upon, you know, the lazy way to success, I, I love that component. And I, I think I want to circle back to that. What I love is, I, I think at a certain point, and I could be totally wrong. I'm speculating that that the safe story, the one about leverage, led you as you were writing, perhaps, to get more and more into studying maybe what the great thinkers thought about these ideas, what what philosophers thought, some physicists. I. You reference all of the above in the book, and I'm wondering if if any of those big ideas stand out. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I have the book marked up and I, I have it open to a couple ch- chapters, but but I'm thinking I'd love to hear it in your um, in your own words. These these ideas about becoming. You know, what leverage looks like when it's more simple and more subtle and, and how physics gets into okay. these subtle layers. All right, a quick timeout. Again, thank you so much for joining me and Habits to Goals. I hope you are digging this interview. I want to share with you something pretty cool we've just thrown out there. You can catch this either live or recorded It's a webinar I put on. It's about 60 minutes. It goes through nine major tips. It gives you background about the habit factor, a little bit about me, and an overview, an intro to something we have put together called the 28-Day Breakthrough. Fantastic course. Really, the goal of which is, it's the old, you don't feed a man a fish or woman, you teach them to fish. And So this is built above, beneath, around The Habit Factor, really gets in-depth with mission, vision, values, some great modules around goals in particular, energy, the mastery mindset. Those are uh, modules that are included. Anyways, check it out. All you have to do is go to thehabitfactor.com forward slash 28, that's the number 28, 28, Day DAY webinar. That's the habit forward slash 28 day webinar. You can get the info, sign up, and hopefully we'll see you on the inside. And with that, let's get back to this fantastic interview. Cheers. All
0: right. First of all, it's a principle in physics probably the principle in physics, called the principle of least action. That everything, every motion that's existing in the entire universe, whether it's a light wave, whether it's an atom, an electron, whether it's a planet, whether it's a star, everything will take the shortest, simplest path. The easiest, simplest. This is how Mother Nature designed it. Yeah. Principle of least action. Everything... You know, and and when time gets factored in, the the shortest path between two points is not necessarily a straight line. It's you know, when 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 time is involved, it turns into a geodesic, which is the shortest space-time route according to physicists. Anyway, so everything is the whole universe is designed to take the lazy approach. As a matter of fact, in my musical that I referenced earlier, there's a song by Mother Nature. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the musical and,
0: and she sings. I'm one lazy mama. She explains that she's one. You know, everything, everything the universe goes by her her vision of taking the easiest, laziest path. And she's one lazy mama. Anyway, it's a great great
1: song. No, and and, and the first thing but that comes singing. to mind, and and we've talked about this on other episodes of the show, um, not on the interviews, but but just kind of some of the the mindsets. That, that we will go through. And one, one reference point that we use often is water. And I think water is a brilliant example of, of what you're talking about. Uh, yes. you put water anywhere and it will either conform or it, it finds the easiest path. That's what it does. Right. Uh,
0: fine. Yes. Now it turns out that, that in physics, in nature, the, the subtler one goes, the more power is there. Right. Subtle, subtle is more powerful. Subtler is even more powerful still. The subtler, the more powerful. And you can you can think in terms of I mean a, a negative example would be you know like, understanding destructive power. Right. Uh, like a hammer on the surface, you can hit something and create a dent here and there. A stick of dynamite is the same weighs the same as a hammer. But because it's working on a more subtle level, on a chemical level, a molecular level, uh, there's greater power involved. An atom bomb, because it's working on an even subtler level, still has even greater power. Yep. Hydrogen bomb, even more. So the subtler we go in nature, the more power. Now, the say, I mean, the reality is one is when one is a writer, But one understands. Nuances of words, the subtle power of words. the writing is, is is stronger, more influential, more beautiful. Everything, you know, like like a musician when he just moves his finger very slightly, just creates that little wiggle or something. It just creates something more, even more beautiful. But it, 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 it's because it's more subtle, anyway.
1: Well, no, I love that. For for let me throw something out. You just reminded me. There's the great saying, Fred, that. That it's the silence between the notes that makes the music, and you can't get any more subtle <laughs> than silence. So yes. music doesn't exist without silence. Anyhow, yes. go on.
0: Well done. So I mean, so from from the point of view of meditation, transcendental meditation, which I you know we talked about it earlier. Sure. What is happening is that there's a te- the technique which is completely easy. Effortless. There's no effort. There's no working. There's no concentration. There's no control. There's an effortless process going on. It's like diving. You just create this correct angle, and gravity pulls you through the water. You know, it's not like you you know you don't have to work to dive. But just get, you just establish the correct angle, and you're different, and and you dive. But the same thing, you establish the correct angle in meditation, and and that you learn how to do this. It has to be taught. It's not something you can learn out of a book. I mean, transcendental meditation cannot be learned out of a book. Uh, And by practicing it, you start to experience subtler levels of your thinking process. You experience a thought at subtler, more refined, more delicate levels. And as the mind is settling down, the body starts to experience a very deep, profound rest. Much deeper than any kind of sleep. It's been measured to be much deeper than sleep. Because as the, the activity of the mind becomes less, the body's activity becomes less. And then one experiences the most subtle impulses of thought. It's from, from practically silent mind, just these little teeny impulses. And then you transcend that and experience the basis of thought one's own c- consciousness and its purity. You're not conscious of anything, it's like you're, you're just c- consciousness becomes conscious of itself. And that experience has such a profound positive impact on how you, when you come out of meditation, on your thinking, on your creativity, on, so you're, you're harnessing the subtle power of the mind and you're enlivening those values and you're, then you bring it out into activity. So you, you approach your life more creative, more intelligent, more rested, more energetic. And, and anyway, so that's, that's, that, you know, I think that, that inspired me to finish the book because once my, my days at Telegroup were over, you know someone was asking me if I had to work hard and I said, "No, I don't believe in work I against th- my religion." And he yeah. said, "Well, how do you be successful?" And I, I said, well, and I gave the story of the safe to this guy and he said, "Wow, where did that come from?" I said, well, I'm writing a long time ago. I was writing this book and on a lazy way, and I and I just forgot the whole thing, you know. And
1: right.
0: He said, I want to read what you've written, and I said, no, no, no. I wrote it like it was like 15 years ago, and you know, however long I'd be too embarrassed, you know, you know, I'm a different person now. I could, I could. The book will make me cringe if I read it. He said, no, no. I insist that I read this book. I said, all right. I'll give it to you, but you have to know. I was a different person. I was an unevolved schlump back then when I wrote this book. So you can uh, its not me. Uh-huh. So I gave him the book. I printed it out. I didn't even read it myself. I just printed it out and you gave it to him. Because you know, during during the, as you know, as as the business evolves, you keep getting new computers and new computers and new computers. So I take the file that I wrote, you know, back in the '90s or something like that, early '90s, and I keep transferring it. To the new computer, but never really opened it up. It was just that file that's got that transferred from hard drive to hard drive. Anyway, so he I, I, I printed it out, sent it to him. The next day, I hear this is a freaky answering machine. This is great! You have to finish this book, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> so really. So I, I, I started to read it. I said, hey, that's pretty funny. This is so that's what prompted me to finish it. Anyway.
1: Yeah. No, it is. I I, I recognize you. Probably have not read the habit factor. And I just want to say, we've, we've done a lot of parallel things in that we've backed it with, you know, for instance, as it relates to habit, I have quotes from Confucius and Ben Franklin and Aristotle. And, and I just think what, what you've done, uh, parallels that in many ways. And, and, and so, for instance, here's something from, um Dr. Richard I think it's Feynman.
0: Feynman, yeah. Is it? yeah, yeah. And
1: and so Nobel he's a, prize winner. that's right. Nobel Prize winning physicist. And I just want to share this with the listener. In physics, when you discover new things, it's really simpler. We have these integrations where everything is simpler than before. That is common. To all of our laws, they all turn out to be simple things. You can recognize truth by its beauty and simplicity, and I would just add, (laughs) it's just hitting me now, and uh, integrity or integration. But that's from a Nobel Prize winning physicist. You can recognize these things by their simplicity and their beauty. And because this is called Habits to Goals, I just want to share there's a great parallel here When you get subtler and simpler. So, Fred, you may not know this, but, but one of the best, most taught goal achievement methodologies is something called SMART goals. And, and everybody teaches it and, and it stands, it's an acronym, SMART, measurable, accountable, relevant, time bound. Those are the criteria in the acronym. That's what SMART means. But, Mm -hmm. but the challenge is, Fred, you end up with a very long, To do list. And what the habit factor says is, and it's along the lines of simpler and beauty and efficiency, and remember that word efficiency, it just says simplify your goal. Break down what habits would you need to create with three habits, five habits to achieve your goal more effortlessly, right? Mm hmm. And, right, right. and, and so when we're talking about subtlety, I mean, this, this is where habit, one of the beauties of habit is that it resides, if it's fully formed, it resides in our subconscious. So it takes little or no conscious thought. Again, right. aligning your habits to your goals is just demonstrable proof here that it's the most efficient way to achieve your goals. This was, before, you know, 2009 as a method to goal achievement, it was not um, it was not documented. So so I maybe this is why, among other things, I just get so excited about the the philosophy and the physics that back up the lazy way to success. I think there's just a lot of great parallels here. So,
0: yeah, um, no, th- as a matter of fact, your insight is brilliant making it a habit, because habits are just, it happen automatically. Yeah, your yeah, yeah, you yeah. so
1: so you at, the at, at, the at a more subtle habit. level, rather than trying, I mean, think about somebody like Stephen King, right? He cranks out, I don't know, let's say 20 novels a year. When he started, I'm sure there was probably effort, it was painful as he was writing, but as he developed the habit, now he wakes up, he opens the laptop, he probably doesn't think at all, and he just He just, it comes out like music. Um, I'm speculating, but, but I think that's the power of habit, positive habits when they're aligned with your goals. So what you have done here is absolutely brilliant. I want to read one other thing here and I have so many, so many things, but we're just short on time. Uh So reader slash listener, listen to this really quick. Solutions to problems are always found on a more subtle, and in parentheses it says plentiful level, because subtler levels are more powerful, and there's that word unifying. This is not just the lazy secret to solving problems. This is the only <laughs> secret to solving problems. It is definitely a blueprint worth <laughs> following, Fred writes, we do less when we perform subtly, and as a result, we accomplish more. This trend points to a sparkling conclusion that ultimately everything will be accomplished by doing nothing. Or as the good Dr. Fuller, and that's Bucky Fuller, the omniweighable physical will be mastered by the <laughs> omniweightless metaphysical. And just to recap what what Fred was saying there, if if you you start with the hammer, and the same size of the hammer is the dynamite, so you move from physical to chemical, and then molecular, and and as you go down, you have you know whether it's the atom bomb or the hydrogen bomb, you have more subtle letter levels becoming more powerful. And parenthetically, this is where we've all originated. So we get excited about this physical plane, but we've all come from nothingness, the ultimate subtlety, right? So, um, Yeah, the
0: unified field.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's great oneness. All right, Fred. So I think we've hammered that home. Your story is unbelievable. I, I, I could talk to you for, I feel like days. I'm so grateful you've taken the time. Um, I want to touch on some, some questions I just ask routinely of my interviews and I'll start with this one if you were to talk to your your younger pre uh, 67 68 self um, what advice would you give you knowing what you know now
0: Jeez. <laughs> um don't eat so much meat.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: I, don't know. I made some, you know, from '68 on. Some wise, I made some wise choices. So yes. I, I, would, I, I would listen to Marashim more closely. Got it. Follow what he has to say more completely. That would be my advice.
1: Good, jo- <laughs> good advice. Um, so this may be a tricky question, but but because we're on the human experience in the, in the human element um my guess is just like everybody else you experience tough days i think i know the answer to this but but how do you quote unquote b- battle through tough days
0: um you know there's there, there there there's one's outer life and there's an inner life if the inner life is established in silence and peacefulness. whatever is happening in the outer the, you know the ways are rocky or you know or smooth you know if you' if you're solid if your core is well anchored, then there's no there's no tough days there's no you know it gets tough when my wife hollers at me you know but then I just know, That'll pass, and I'll be happy again. <laughs> that's go. all, you know. I, I just go inside. No, if that's I, beautiful. If, uh, if it's it, tough. I go inside and and get marinated in that that bliss, and then I come out and I enjoy. It. That's all.
1: I love it. We we uh, did a, a happiness webinar not too long ago, and 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 one of the key points. Is, is exactly what you're talking about. It's the idea that if you were to look at your wellness as as a mile deep, you know, lake, then at the surface where it's windy, mm-hmm. uh, it could be an angry lake, right? But but if you go right. deep, 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 deep down to the core, hopefully it's, it's still, still and it's calm. And I think that's the distinction, just one man's opinion, between contentment, and happiness and Mm -hmm. and i think you know for another time but contentment is made up of other things so in any event i love that i love the inner and the outer and and it matches what we've talked about how and i think i may know the answer to this how do you fred define success how do i define it success well
0: success is a process it's not a goal success is is uh, is doing what you love enjoying it because if you if you and because there is no goal is if you if, if you put money as a goal you're you're chasing an illusion because let's face it all money is is just some psychological trick that the government is so we all kind of agree that money has value but it it has no value. It's only because we agree that it has value that gives it value. Um, you just, just if you're happy and fulfilled and, and creative and with your activity, then that's a success. That's success. That's, it's a process. Success is a process. It's not a goal.
1: That's beautiful. Well said, sir.
0: Because you know, think of Bill Gates or something like that. They have more money than God. Why do they keep wanting you to make more? how much money do you need? you know just do something just do something smart with it now yeah,
1: um, yeah, no, and you hit it on the head i mean in fact he's he can't and he's literally trying to give it away fast enough and it's because it's not the money it's the significance and the meaning and the purpose that that he can get with it at least yeah. that's that's my take so
0: yeah. Yeah, it ter- it turns out giving is so much more fun and hmm. so much more fulfilling than getting right you know so once you get it then you give it and then you'll enjoy it more you know because face it how many pairs of cashmere socks do you need
1: <laughs> how, many, how many well pop- it doesn't matter in my house no matter how many i buy my wife steals them all so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so apparently i need a lot um how about uh, two or three of your best positive habits?
0: Well, I, I, I practice TM twice a day, so that's that's a great habit. That I'm is gonna, a great
1: I'm, habit. You'd be surprised how many times that is mentioned as a top habit. So yeah I, it
0: I, I, you know it, it, it's it's you know between if there's a choice between eating or meditating, I'll meditate you know it's just it's it, it's such it's so important to me that that's I just hang my day on that structure twice a day I meditate and everything else is you know I make time for it
1: do you mind is it is it a set time I'm kind of curious uh, yeah
0: for how... breakfast and it'll be for dinner got it yeah
1: got it well thank you for sharing that and and another one perhaps or
0: uh, I have it I have it I have it I, I preserve my freedom. I like to be, I like to be spontaneous. I like to be, you know. I don't like things planned out for me, or I, I don't like to be bossed. I'm completely anti-authoritarian.
1: So, <laughs> I love that about you.
0: I'm yeah. vigilant about
1: my my sense is freedom is a very high value.
0: Yes, for me it is. You yeah,
1: know. Uh, that's amazing. Um, so, how about two or three? We're 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 kind of rounding third here. Two or three of your favorite transformative books that you could share with the listener. Oh, jeez, um,
0: transformative, transformative
1: books, just books well, that first, b- books that have changed. You know, books that really meant a lot to you. Books you you maybe gift to people that are important.
0: Uh, well, I mean. It's a, it's an esoteric book. It's the it's the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Got it. Uh, I'm particularly fond of this one translation by by Mukherjee. <laughs> but uh, that uh, I really I really like that. And, and 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 the Bhagavad Gita. And I particularly like Maharishi's translation. But those those are two transformative books for me.
1: Beautiful. Second one's kind of hard to read sometimes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but if if you read Maharishi's translation, he really, really gives some great insight into every the nuances of the words and you know and why, why Krishna called Arjuna this name and not that name. You know, and what influence he was trying to stimulate. It's very, you know, very insightful. Anyway.
1: Yes. Yes, sir.
0: No, sure, but in terms of being an entrepreneur, and this is probably a book is a old fashioned. I don't, think, but it's called the, um, the Entrepreneur's Handbook by a guy named White. I don't know, I forget his first name. That that was that was uh, that was really helpful in structuring a business. The Entrepreneur's Handbook.
1: Excellent, beautiful. And so if-
0: the spiritual to the hard, practical approach.
1: Say that last one.
0: Well, I mean, it, it, you know, it's the entrepreneur's handbook is like really a practical guide.
1: Oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Um, so how about a an app, a tech tool, a gadget, a website, something that helps you fill your day or something you can't do without?
0: Oh, like I'm I'm 72 and I'm you know I I, I read. Sports blogs. <laughs> I read Huffington Post. You know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a real internet surfer. <laughs> but if people want to, people want to come to my site. I, I haven't updated it in years, but it's uh, LazyWay.net.
1: Yeah, no, I, that's that's perfect. Yeah, LazyWay.net. We're gonna we make sure we plug that, re, re, reiterate that at the end of the show too. Which and, were, you
0: know, I, wrote, I wrote another book on sports. Uh, gonna, you, yeah, must thought, be
1: a, you must be a mind reader, because that's where I was going to go. Keep going. Beautiful.
0: I wrote a book on sports, which was which, which, based on a philosophy that my dear friend Stephen Yellen devised. It's called The Mentally Quiet Athlete. And I thought this book would just take sports by storm. I thought this, you know, it's a completely paradigm-shifting book on how to approach a sport. But you know, it never got off the ground. But it still exists. So if you go to quiet dot you could get it, or it's on Amazon too.
1: So, just clarification: your your dear friend Steve Young, as in Young. Steve
0: Young, Y E L L I N. He he was um, okay. He, he won the Florida State tennis championship um, as a high school kid the same year that. Chrissy Everett won the girls' side.
1: Ah, I for a second I thought you said Steve Young. I'm like, whoa!
0: No, no, this is Steve Young.
1: That's fantastic, though.
0: And and uh, and, and when he when he was the number one tennis player at University of Pennsylvania, so, And he ended up he ended up beating uh, McEnroe. I think McEnroe was a little younger, but he Stephen had a, a zone experience, and he wondered for years how to replicate that. And he's come up with a formula. Oh God,
1: I got I got to read that because my second book is called The Pressure Paradox, and I have an entire uh, section or chapter devoted to the zone as well. So I, I got to find that book. But keep going. But yeah,
0: the, the the mentally quiet athlete. Yep. What. And. Um, uh, and I took Stephen's philosophy and I turned it into a story, so people can read a story, but the philosophy comes through. But how? Uh, and um, uh, I started golf late in life. I started when I was fifty-six, and I was terrible. I mean, it, you know, you hit one good shot in, 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 in nine holes or eighteen holes, and but that's enough. That that bliss of that great shot <laughs> it, it keeps you coming back for more. Yep. But I, you know. I mean, I I had a 36 handicap, which was still generous because I but that's the highest you can get. (laughs) You know, they they cut you off at 36, but I deserved higher than 36. Right. And then, you know, Stephen, Stephen, uh, he's, you know, I was taking tennis lessons and all this kind of stuff. And and, and Stephen told me his philosophy when I first met him and he gave me a tennis lesson. But I would take tennis lessons from other people, and I, you know, the instructor would have me running back and forth, and it was very mechanical. Do your this with your hand, and your this. You shift your weight like this, and you know, all this kind of stuff, and all these kind of techniques of the mechanical, the mechanics of the backhand and the forehand and whatnot, the mechanics of the serve. Stephen does not teach mechanics, zero technique. He teaches you how to think. And he, had, and he just taught me, he said, I just want you to do this process. He, he basically told me, I want you to count. One, two, three. The only thing you have to worry about is there is space between the one and the two, no. and the two and the three. That's all you have to worry about. As soon as I hit the ball, you start counting, which I did. And I got to tell you, my stroke, I didn't think about mechanics. I didn't think about footwork or anything everything just fell into place wow that, the, that everything was more efficient so I was, and I was running more than I ever did and I was and the, and the rallies stayed longer than they ever did and I never got out of breath and I'm telling you it was blissful before with a, with a, with a, with a, a, a typical instructor you'd have to call an ambulance to take me off the court and I was just so quick so <laughs> and out of breath and you know thinking that's how you, that's how you become a great athlete and I'm telling you it's not. You have, if, if, if you think properly, and that was just a, a rudimentary exercise that he gave me. He said, the, the important thing is that there be a gap between the one and the two and the two and the three. And I tell you, I never got more than three, count to three. And I was hitting the ball back efficiently, with, with, with pace, with placement, and not thinking about it. I wasn't thinking about it. And, and, and Stephen has told me, he said, The perfect tennis stroke already resides in your brain. In your muscle memory, which is called the uh, where muscle memory, sort of is called the basal ganglia. He said, the, "Your best golf stroke is there. Your best tennis <laughs> stroke. it's all resides and, there."
1: And that's where habit—that's where habit resides too. <laughs> that's
0: where habit resides, and you just have to let it happen. Just have to let. Don't interfere with it. And he, and he teaches a way—an effortless way—on how not to interfere with the flow of muscle memory to the body. Because once the front of the brain gets involved, the the, um, the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that thinks and decides and discriminates and yes. has goals and has, I got to hit it over the, the lake. I got to get it on the green. I, gotta <laughs> the head, I have to hit it. I have to hit it to that side of the court. That's if, as soon as the prefrontal cortex gets involved,
1: <laughs> it's, a it's a mess.
0: It makes a mess. It it's a total. It's down, a, yeah. It slows down the the flow of information from the from the from the from the, from the Basal ganglia to the body. Absolutely. And not only that, what also shuts down is the back of the brain, the uh, cerebellum. And this is where the genius of athletes, this is, this is where athletic genius resides. Because in the cerebellum, that's responsible for yep. subtle motion, the fast twitch muscles. Yep. You know, and as soon as, you know, so, you know, when you are throwing a curveball or something like that, there's a rhythm and your wrist has to snap in a subtle way, just perfectly, to make the ball curve, absolutely. Part of the brain involved, the cerebellum shuts down, and what do you do? You hang a curveball, and the next thing you know, it's in the center field stands.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, so how's your golf game these days?
0: He, you know, within within two weeks, two three weeks of practicing Stevens' technique, it went from a 36 to an 18 handicap. I'm
1: um, unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable. It just it just shaved as you know because you know, because I was, but the point is he does not teach technique mechanics. But in a golf swing, a golf pro that he has, he has dissected the golf swing into a billion parts. Your wrist should be like that. Your knee there, your belly button should be like this. Make sure your head is down. You know, your shoulders should swing like this. You breathe. You know, there's so many, this, the golf swing is so dissected that the whole. Mess of it is <laughs> oh off.
1: yeah. You can overthink it into oblivion. Um, <laughs> Before I forget, your yes. buddy Steve Yellen. I L L I N. Yeah, yeah. I want. Uh, I don't know if you're talking to him these days. So in oh, the pre- I take, I in the pre- in the pressure paradox, I have about a chapter and an encounter with Rod Laver, if you know who that is. And so, oh, yeah, of
0: course, the guy with a huge forearm. Yeah, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. So well, I'm and he better. also had the most grand slams for I don't know how long. So, yeah, I mean, a champion at the highest level of tennis. And yeah. we talked about performance and pressure and things like concentration and focus. So, anyways, he's, he's still doing well, alive and kicking in Carlsbad, California, and he's a great guy. So you can share that with your buddy Yellen.
0: Um, yeah. yeah, so if you want to meet. Mix- Stephen Steven has a. He's teaching golf with the David Ledbetter Academy uh, oh, down great. in Florida. And uh, he's, he's, I think he's going to University of Minnesota to teach the golfers there. I think the, the girls' golf team, he's got a contract with them. But uh, his system is called the fluid motion factor. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, Martin, he's worth getting to know. You should, be, you should talk to him.
1: Yeah, I got to get him a copy of the Pressure Paradox, <laughs> but I'm going to read his book for sure. Uh, you, know,
0: you should interview him. He's he's just a, he's just a wonderful interview.
1: Oh, absolutely! And uh, Fred, this is this has been incredible. I'm I'm sitting here thinking I'm I I kind of feel like I'm in the banker's shoes 50 years ago or whatever. And uh, your enthusiasm and energy has been overwhelming. It's been absolutely fantastic. You've been a dream guest. Um, right.
0: I'm. You have to cut it. this into two. What's you that? Should the, you should cut the, the the podcast into two, so people, you know, so people don't have to spend their half their life listening to it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what's really weird. Um, I try to keep it, you know, around forty minutes to an hour, but some of the most popular out there, some are two and three hours. So everybody's oh. going to be fine. You were okay. you were absolutely terrific. I think final questions involve. Is there anything you would like to promote? Obviously, we can direct them to your website, which is thelazyway.net. No, but take if, out the the.
0: It's just lazyway.net.
1: Oh, it's there's no the. My bad. Yeah. Sorry about that. Lazyway.net. um anything,
0: quietathlete.com. Oh, hang that,
1: on. Say that again? <laughs> I
0: have to check to see what it is. Hang on. Don't go away. Okay. On. Uh, <laughs> I think it's mentallyquiet.com.
1: Perfect. We can all we all have the ability to google. Is there anything else you'd like to promote, share a new book in the works, anything? No, no, so,
0: no, no new book yet. Um um the thing people should learn people look into a tm tm.org. tm.org. tm.org.
1: Absolutely.
0: That, that, that I would, above anything, I, don't buy my book. Go to tm.org. That's the thing.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic. Or do
0: both. Do both.
1: There you go. Both is often the answer. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much. Again, I could do this probably for days. We barely scratched the surface, and you have been, a uh, again, a terrific interview and guest, and uh, I feel blessed and honored to have spent some time with you, so thank you very much.
0: It is my pleasure. As you can see, I shoot my mouth off and can't get stuck.
1: <laughs> no, it's good. That's what, what's gotten you so far. All right, sir. Well, we will see you. Say goodbye to the listener.
0: Uh, listeners, goodbye. It was a pleasure. One of these days, I'd love to meet you all.
1: Yeah, we gotta maybe we can do an event, bring you in. All right, oh. Fred. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from. If there's one thing I know, and I think Jim Rohn was the one who said this originally, in five years, the difference in your life will be largely based upon two things. The books you've read and the relationships you have fostered. Doesn't it make sense to take advantage of the downtime, whether you're on the road, on a run, in the gym, kill a couple birds with one stone, get a book going. It's phenomenal. It's I, the more people I turn on to it, the more uh, compliments I get. Not that I've actually done anything. 180,000 titles to choose from. You get one free book a month, 30% off. Any other book. Again, check it out. AudibleTrial.com forward slash habits to goals. I'm going to say that again real quick. AudibleTrial.com forward slash habits to goals. And that is the number two. And of course, when you support our sponsors, you are supporting the show. So thank you again. I am extremely grateful. We'll see you at the next episode.